chapter 19, we're going to talk about Zacchaeus today. And, um, and what, what the scripture reveals to us as we look at the account of this man named Zacchaeus. In the, in the Psalms, the scripture talks about God giving us the desire of our heart. And a lot of times we claim these promises and we, you know, we have desires. And a lot of times our desires are centered around earthly things. And, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having a desire for earthly things. But when the scripture talks about giving us the desire of our heart, I hope that we understand that that promise and that hope that God gives us uh, goes far beyond any earthly thing that we could desire and even gain. Um, I think it was C.S. Lewis who more or less made a comment to this effect that we, we settle, our, our desires are far less, we settle for, for much, much less than what God has really promised us. In the book of James, James talks about desire, and he said we're drawn away and enticed by our desires. In the King James, it uses the word lust. Um, That's a synonymous term. What you lust after is what you desire. And so we're drawn away and enticed by our desires. And that scripture presents that in a negative light, that we are tempted with evil and we're drawn away by our evil desires. But we can have desires that go the other way as well. And this is the promise that God gives us when he says that he will give us the desires of our heart. The idea is not that we can desire evil things and God will give those to us, or foolish things, and God will give those to us. The, the, what the Scripture is communicating there is that when we have a heart change, and our heart is changed, and our desires are changed, and they're consistent with who God is, with who Christ is, then God can give us the desires of our heart. And God does not give us the desires of our heart any more than a good parent gives their child everything the child desires. When we do that as parents, that's called what? Spoiling our children. And so sometimes our children desire things and we deny their desire because we know that it's not good for them, it's not profitable for them. And so what do we do as parents? As parents, we mold and we shape the desires of our children so that what they desire will be good and profitable for them. Why would we think that God would do any less for us? The scripture says that he's a good father. And like a good father, he disciplines his children. That doesn't mean he punishes his children. That word discipline in today's culture, because we don't really believe in discipline today, we think discipline is synonymous with punishment. But discipline doesn't really have anything to do with punishment. Discipline has to do with molding and shaping the the character and the behavior of children. Not to punish them, but so that they can be 
blessed. God doesn't discipline us to punish us. God disciplines us because he's molding and shaping us because he wants to bless us. He wants to mold and shape our desires, the desires of our hearts, so that he can give that desire to us. And we be blessed and we be fruitful in that. You say, what in the world does all of this have to do with Zacchaeus? Well, let's, let's look at Luke 19, and let's read the 10 verses that give us the account of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. Then Jesus, Luke 19, 1, read with me. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus... He sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. How many of y'all know the song about Zacchaeus? Do y'all know it? How many children know the song about Zacchaeus? None of you kids know it? Okay, how many adults know it? Okay, well, let's, adults, we're going to sing it for the kids, okay? <laughs> we'll teach it to our children. And if the children happen to know it, maybe you kids can sing along with us adults and help us out, okay? Are you all ready? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. Yay! We haven't sang that on a Sunday morning in a while. (laughs) Father, we pray today that you'd open our hearts and open our minds to your word. And Lord, even as we sing this song, it reminds me of your words that said, we must become like little children to enter the kingdom of heaven. I pray, God, that you would give to us childlike faith, that we would trust you, that our desires would be of you and for you, that you would grant them in your grace and in your mercy, to your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So here is this guy, Zacchaeus. Well, what do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, we know he was a little man, right? He was a wee little man. 
But it says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now that can mean one of two things. That could mean that Zacchaeus was the chief of the tax collectors and he was over all the tax collectors. He oversaw these tax collectors under him. Or it could mean that he was just a very rich and very prominent man. And because of his wealth and stature, he was known as a chief tax collector. I happen to believe they were both true. I believe he was a chief tax collector in both senses of the word. And then the scripture says, and he was rich. And if you knew anything, if you know anything about the tax system, if we, you think we have a, an unjust and uh, bad tax system here in America, uh, as bad as it is, you probably want to live under the one we have here versus the one they had under Rome. Zacchaeus was a very rich man. He had great power as a tax collector, even as tax collectors do today. He was an employee of the Roman government. He had a very powerful position as a tax collector. And if he was a chief tax collector who oversaw other tax collectors, he had an even more powerful position. And he was rich. And we're going to see later on in the story why he was so rich and so wealthy. He didn't get all of his wealth honestly, let's just say that. Tax collectors, by the way, were not liked. Tax, the word, the word that's used in the scripture, you'll see it sometimes in your King James Bible, uh, I think mainly, you'll see the word publican. It says Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. And the word publican means tax collector. That's what a publican was. And the Jews would use the word publican and sinner synonymously. If you were a publican, you were automatically a sinner. You might, it, it, just because you're a sinner doesn't mean you're a publican. But if you're a publican, you are a sinner and a heathen. And the Jews did not want to have anything to do with you. It was not a good profession to have. Uh, in terms of being popular with the native population. So this is who Zacchaeus was. He was a tax collector. He was rich. He was powerful. And in verse 3 it says, he sought to see who Jesus was. But he could not because of the crowd. For he was short of stature. So literally, we don't know how short Zacchaeus was, but Zacchaeus had to be pretty small. Because we know the population back in that day wasn't, they weren't real tall anyways. They were probably, their average height was shorter than the average height of most people in America. So Zacchaeus was somewhere shorter than that, and so he literally could not see Jesus as he passed by because he was too short. Now, was he a dwarf or a midget? I don't know, but he was a wee little man. And there was no way he could see Jesus, so 
He wanted to, though. Now, here's where desire comes in. There was something in Zacchaeus that caused him to... He sought... The Scripture says he sought to see who Jesus was. Now, it's interesting. In Luke 19... If you go to Luke 18, the preceding chapter, there's two significant events that take place in Luke chapter 18 that I think bear directly on the story of Zacchaeus. One I think, in, one I think directly and one I think indirectly. In Luke 18, we see the account of the rich young ruler. The young man who comes to Jesus says, Jesus... What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And he says, I have, since my youth, kept all the commandments. Jesus didn't dispute with him. He said, go and sell all your possessions, give all your riches to the poor, and come and follow me. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler became very sad and very downcast because he had great possessions, and he turned away and did not follow Jesus. That's one thing we see in Luke 18. The other thing we see is the account of, 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 of the blind man. Mark's gospel names him. His name is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was a blind beggar who sat on the side of the road outside of Jericho. If you're a careful student of your Bible and you read all the accounts of the blind beggars, you may think that there is a contradiction in the Scripture. This is just kind of an extra deal. Um, because you're going to see that in one account, he's on one side of Jericho, and on another account, he's on another side of Jericho, and you think, oh, there's a mistake in the Scripture. Not so. Because if you read very carefully, you'll see, and what we know from history is there was an old Jericho and there was a new Jericho. There was the old city of Jericho that had been destroyed when the children of Israel came in. It was never rebuilt. There was a new Jericho that became a new city, and they called it Jericho because of its proximity to old Jericho. And you see that blind Bart, in one of the Gospels, the references to old Jericho, one of the, uh, the other Gospels, a reference to new Jericho. It's not a contradiction in the Scriptures. If you read it very carefully, you'll see that it's talking about the reality of where it actually tells us, it gives us a very good idea of where this blind beggar would sit. And he would sit there, which means somebody had to take him, put him there. He'd sit there by the side of the road and he would beg for alms. This is how he made his living. He's blind. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And to get to Jerusalem from where Jesus is coming from, he's going to go through Jericho. So he's coming through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And there is this throng of people following with Jesus. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's on his way to the cross. This is the last Passover before, or, or this is the Passover when Jesus will be what he ultimately was destined to be, the Passover Lamb of God. So up until this time, Jesus celebrated Passover like everybody else. This Passover, he will celebrate it like everyone else, except that he will become he will be sacrificed as the Lamb of God. And so this is where Jesus is going when he, he encounters the blind man. So the blind man cries out, 
Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus goes to the blind man. He heals the blind. That's a whole message in and of itself. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful story. He heals the blind man. He heals this blind beggar. And, and he is going on. And he's coming now into Jericho having healed the blind beggar. So the blind beggar is between old and new Jericho. Jesus is coming in. He heals the blind beggar. Now he's coming into the town of Jericho. This is where Zacchaeus is. No doubt Zacchaeus has heard the uproar. He already knows. He's already heard about this Jesus. Now you've got these multitudes following Jesus. He's coming into town. And and the Bible says Zacchaeus sought to see who Jesus was. It's like, who is this Jesus? Something in Zacchaeus desired... Are you hearing me? Something in Zacchaeus desired to see who this Jesus was. I don't think it was just that Zacchaeus wanted to see how tall Jesus was, how long his hair was, what color his eyes were. When it says he sought to see who Jesus was, what it's saying is he desired to know about this. Who is this man that is creating such an uproar? Who is this man who has healed the lame? Who has opened blind eyes? Who is this man they call Jesus? Zacchaeus had a desire. He sought to see who Jesus was. But he could not because he was short of stature. Now remember who this guy is. He's rich and he's powerful. Have you ever... Have you, have you guys ever known anybody? I had, a, I had a friend who was like Zacchaeus, short of stature. Have you ever known anybody short of stature? And they seem like, have you ever known anyone like that? It's like they've got something to prove to the world. Just because I'm short doesn't mean that I'm not powerful. You've, have you all ever known anyone like that? Now, here Zacchaeus, he is a wee little man, as the song goes. But he is also rich and powerful. I mean, this guy's got, he can exercise power over people. You think that maybe he'd just say, don't you guys know who I am? I'm Zacchaeus, and push through the crowd. I just wonder what caused Zacchaeus to, to not just, exercise that power and do that. Well, it could be various reasons. It could be that the multitudes were so great lining the sides of the roads, it was just pointless. That's probably very, very possible. There could be something else, though, going on here. There could be an element of pride with Zacchaeus that he's not really wanting to admit that maybe he's that interested in finding out who this Jesus is. Now, it's very likely that Zacchaeus was a Jew. Now listen to me, and we're going to see the significance of this later on. Most likely Zacchaeus was a Jew. But though he was a son of Abraham physically, <clears throat> Zacchaeus was not treated 
as a Jew. He was not treated as one of the brethren. As a matter of fact, he was probably treated worse than any Gentile because his Jewish brethren had counted him a heathen because he was a publican, he was a tax collector. And not only was he a tax collector, he obviously was not an honest tax collector. And so you could probably guess, we're, we're, we're surmising here, but, but knowing human nature, here's this guy who's a tax collector. He's rejected by his friends and his family and his people, so to speak. And, and, and he begins to exercise his power. He becomes corrupt. He becomes very rich. And, and now all of a sudden, he could care less whether the Jews like him or not. He is the chief tax collector. He's rich and powerful. He's going to do his job, and he'll do whatever. And he didn't really care whether the Jews embraced him or not. They did not. They rejected him. And so this is, you have all these dynamics going on with this little man, Zacchaeus. And so for whatever reason, he couldn't see Jesus, so here's what he does. Verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For Jesus was going to pass that way. So Zacchaeus had this desire. He sought to see who Jesus was. He, his desire was hindered physically and maybe in other ways. So he runs ahead and he climbs up in a tree because he knows Jesus He's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows Jesus has got to pass this way, so he climbs up in this tree. He gets ahead of the crowd. He gets ahead of the multitude. Now, that tells us something right there. Here is a very rich and a very powerful man in this city who now has run ahead and he has climbed up in a tree. Can you imagine? And here is Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, hated by all, probably loved by the Romans because he collected a lot of money for him. So the Romans probably loved him. The Jews hated him. And he's up in this sycamore tree, somewhere ahead of the crowd, waiting for Jesus to come by. Can you imagine someone coming down the road and they look up and there is the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, what are you doing up in that tree? He's just there up in the tree waiting for Jesus to come by. There was something in his heart, there was a desire in his heart that caused Zacchaeus to do something out of character for him. I don't think climbing trees was something Zacchaeus normally did. I just don't think chief tax collectors, rich and powerful people, went around just climbing trees. That probably was not the socially acceptable thing to do the politically correct thing to do. But there was something happening inside of Zacchaeus that caused him to do something out of the ordinary. There was a, a desire in his heart that caused him to run ahead of the crowd, to climb up in a tree and to do something totally foreign and alien to his nature. But he did it. Why, why would he do that? Because he desired to do that, because there was something in him that desired to see who Jesus was, and finding out who Jesus was was more important at this moment. Now, he, he could have woken up the next day and said, what on earth was I thinking climbing that tree? 
I am Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. But he wasn't thinking like that. There was something that overrode his common sense, that overrode his sense of decorum and what is right and what is proper and, and what is not. And there was a desire in him that caused him to run ahead, climb up in the tree and wait in that tree for Jesus to pass by. And he obviously didn't care who saw him. He obviously didn't care what it looked like. There, there was a desire in him that overrode his desire to appear proper, to appear, what would we say, dignified. Kind of like David, when David was leading the procession and the ark was coming into Jerusalem, and the Bible says David danced naked before the Lord. Before you guys get real, that's not a justification for streaking because he, he was not without any clothing. The, the really, the right way to understand that is he danced in his underwear. It, it would be kind of, he took his outer garment off and he had his inner garment on and he danced there with his inner garment on. But, but in, in the day that he lived, in the, the way that he was naked. I mean, that's just what they called it. You, you danced, his wife goes, you danced naked before the Lord. You were undignified. And he said, I will become even more undignified than this. Why? Because David's desire to appear dignified, he's the king. And the desire of the king should be to be dignified, right? But, but there was a desire in David's heart to worship God that overrode his sense of political correctness in his sense of decorum, it says the king must remain dignified at all times. He said, throw dignity out the window. I am worshiping my God. Zacchaeus says, throw dignity out the window. If I got to climb this tree to see Jesus, to find out who this Jesus is, this is what I'm going to do. Why? Because there was a desire in the heart of Zacchaeus to see who Jesus was. And it wasn't a normal desire. It was not his normal desire. So he was hindered, but he ran ahead. And here's what Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus put himself in a position to see Jesus. See, the problem with some people today is they want to see Jesus, but they don't really want to see Jesus. Some people would have said, ah, you know, I want to see Jesus, but man, the crowds, God, who wants to go fight that crowd? Not me. Ah, you know, I want to see Jesus, but I don't want to see him that bad. Oh, okay. So then you won't see him. Well, you know, I'd like to encounter God, but ah, I hate getting up to go to church on Sunday morning. It's such a hassle. Ah, you know, I'll encounter him some other day. Well, well maybe you will. Maybe you won't. I don't know. Where's your desire? Well, we don't know a lot about Zacchaeus, but we do know that his desire was to see Jesus, to see who Jesus was. And that desire caused him to do something out of the ordinary. So Zacchaeus puts himself in a place where Jesus would pass by. And it says, let's go on, let's read the story. So when he ran ahead, he climbed up in the sycamore tree where Jesus was going to pass by that way. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, 
Some versions don't have and saw him. Some versions just say he looked up and said to him. Doesn't really matter. But here's the thing. Here's the question you need to ask yourself. Did Jesus know Zacchaeus was up in that tree? Or was Jesus walking along the road and all of a sudden he goes, Oh, God, you guys notice that tax collector up in the tree? Look at that. That is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Hey, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? No. Jesus is passing by and he looked up and said to him. Why? Because Jesus knew Zacchaeus was going to be in that tree. Zacchaeus didn't surprise Jesus. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must. Everybody say must. I must stay at your house. This is a, this is a profound statement that Jesus makes here. Jesus comes to the place where he knew Zacchaeus would be. He looks up in that tree and he says, Zacchaeus, make haste. That word, that Greek word, speaks of an urgency. I mean, chop, chop, don't waste time. Get down from that tree right now, for I must come to your house today. I must stay at your house today. Don't collect $200. Don't pass go. I mean, you get to your house right now. Make haste. Come down. Why? For today, I must stay at your house. That word must is a Greek word that speaks of divine necessity. This isn't like, uh, we say must. Well, I, I must this. I. No, listen. Jesus is saying, this is a divine appointment. I must. This is the Father's will. The Father has ordained that I will stay at your house. You're, you're not in that tree by accident. I'm not coming to your house by accident because you're kind of an interesting character. I haven't seen any tax collectors hanging out in trees lately. I just think I want to come over and sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and find out what kind of guy you are. What would make you climb that tree? No, that's, not, that's what I might do. But that's not what Jesus, that's not what's going on here. Make haste and come down for I must. This is the will of the Father. I must stay at your house. By divine necessity in the Father's will, I will stay at your house today. It was a divine appointment. The desire in the heart of Zacchaeus that was so contrary, that made him do something so contrary to what he was and who he is, wasn't there because Zacchaeus just decided to do something crazy that day. There was something at work in him. It was, it was God. God was working on Zacchaeus by his spirit. God had put the desire in the heart of Zacchaeus to see who Jesus was. God had put the desire so strongly in his heart that he could not resist. It would have been so easy for him to say, well, you know, I want to see who Jesus is, but I am not going to fight these crowds. He put that desire in his heart to the degree that Zacchaeus 
went out of his way, did the extraordinary thing and climbed up in a tree. And when Jesus came by, he said, get down from that tree, make haste, for I must, by the will of the Father, stay at your house today. This is exactly what Jesus was telling Zacchaeus. So verse 6, what does Zacchaeus do? He obeys Jesus. He made haste. He came down. And verse 6 says, he, he, So he made haste and came down and received him, received Jesus joyfully. Do you see? I mean, a miracle has happened here. Do you see the miracle that's happened here? Something has happened in this man, this very wealthy, very powerful man who was unpopular, who was corrupt, who, who probably didn't have very many friends, and the friends that he had, he probably bribed them. He probably just, you know, paid them to be his friends. This was not a real pleasant character. Something has happened in this guy's heart. And he gets down and it says he receives Jesus Joyfully. Verse 7, but when they... It doesn't tell us who they are. But we know who they are. When they... Look at this, verse 7. When they saw it, they all complained. Who were the they? Who was Jesus? Who did they believe Jesus was at this time? See, if we... We keep going. When we finish the story of Zacchaeus, we know. Look, let's fast forward a little bit. Let's go to verse 11. Read with me verse 11. Now, as they, there's the they, okay? As they, same they, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So verse 11 tells us who the they are. They are the religious people, the religious leaders, those Jews looking for their Messiah who thought their Messiah was going to come and overthrow the Roman Empire and, and judge all these jerks like Zacchaeus who was oppressing them. I mean, here comes our Messiah. He's coming to Jerusalem. Boy, is he going to get his vengeance now. These Romans and these Jews who aren't even Jews, they might as well be Romans because they're tax collectors and oppressors. Boy, here comes our Messiah. He is going to do them in. He is going to pay back. Ooh, it's going to be so sweet as we watch him pay back everything that they, they, they deserve to get. This was the mentality of the crowd following Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Here is the Messiah who's going to usher in the kingdom and deal with all of these corrupt guys like Zacchaeus. And what in the world does the Messiah do? He stops right in front of the tree that the chief tax collector is in. And he says, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus came down and received the Messiah with joy. Well, these people following Jesus didn't even do that. They, they just received him conditionally. And we see when the conditions change, when it doesn't go the way they were wanting it to go, when they didn't get their desire, guess where the Messiah? He's out. Crucify that dude. No, he's not our Messiah. He's not our king. Crucify him. Why? Because he didn't give us what we wanted. That's why. Oh, 
Because you know the Bible says that God will give us the desires of our heart. And, and he, he obviously didn't come from God because he didn't give us the desire of our heart. We wanted vengeance. We wanted to destroy the Romans. We want He's not the Messiah. Go ahead and crucify him. Mm. Here is the Messiah. Stops in front of the tree that the tax collector's in. And he says, get down. The Father in heaven has appointed divinely that I'm going to stay at your house. And he goes to the house of Zacchaeus and they... See it, and they all complain. What do they say? He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. You better watch out. Do you, you notice something about Jesus? Jesus didn't get upset when people slandered him. Now, that's tough. That's tough. But, but th- we see this consistently with Jesus. They said all kinds of things about Jesus. You know why Jesus didn't get upset? Because Jesus knew who he was. He was confident in who he was. I don't handle slander quite as, as well as Jesus did. I'll just be honest with you. And what that tells me is... When I'm slandered and I don't handle it very well, it tells me that I'm not as confident in who I am in Christ as I should be. I'm not as confident in in who my advocate and my mediator is as I should be. So they all complain because he was a guest with a man who is a sinner. Verse 8, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. Now, they're already in the house. So we fast forward from the tree. Make haste, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, the story fast forward. Zacchaeus climbs down the tree. He goes to his house, gets his house ready. Jesus makes his way to the house of Zacchaeus. They're in the house of Zacchaeus, and they're having a dialogue. And there are probably other people in the house there, other sinners. And they are all on the outside looking in going, Oh my God, look at that Jesus. He is in the house of Zacchaeus. He, he's with sinners. And they all complain. That is not what the Messiah is supposed to be doing right now. He's supposed to be judging him, not eating with him. They're all on the outside saying all of this, and Zacchaeus and Jesus are on the inside, and something happens to the heart of Zacchaeus. Now, the Scripture reveals a little bit more about who this guy Zacchaeus is. Look at verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. What does that tell us? That he has taken things by false accusation. So what, what could maybe the chief tax collector do? Uh, let's see. Uh, you, know, you own a tent-making business, and you sold how many tents last, last year? Well, let's see. You owe me 50% of your income. But the law says... Oh, Nope, we just had a new law that they just passed. I forgot to tell you about that. It's going to be 50% now. Zacchaeus says, all the people that I did that to, 
All the people that I accused falsely, all the people that I cheated, all the people I stole money from, I'm not only going to restore what I stole back from them, but I'm going to restore it fourfold, Lord. Now, Now, let's stop for a moment and let's think about the contrasting picture here between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. Here's the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life, the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, keep the commandments. Oh, well, I do that. Uh, duh. Done that since I was a kid, Jesus. Okay, well, then go, go sell everything you have. Go all your money to the poor and come follow me. I can't do that. You know how rich I am? He walks away. The scripture doesn't tell us anything about what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. We don't know... We don't know anything about the conversation. All we know is that one minute Zacchaeus is up in the tree. The next minute he's in the house with Jesus. You've got people outside complaining about Jesus being in the house with a sinner. And the next thing we see is Zacchaeus saying, Look, Lord, I give half of everything I have to the poor. And everything that I've gained falsely by false accusation, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, verse 9, Today, today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. That's a real interesting statement because Jesus is saying that as though Zacchaeus is a Gentile that he's calling a son of Abraham. But Zacchaeus wasn't a Gentile. He was a Jew. The problem was the Jews, he might as well have been a Gentile. The Jews didn't recognize him as a Jew. He was a heathen to them. He was outcast. He was nothing. To the Jews, Zacchaeus was dead. He was nothing. What does Jesus say? Today, salvation has come to this house in every sense of the word. Christ, who is salvation, came to this house. The salvation of Christ was given to this man, Zacchaeus, who is a son of Abraham. That speaks volumes. Why was he a son of Abraham? Not because he was by birth. He was by birth. But more importantly, he was how? By faith. By faith. It makes us think of the picture Jesus gave us when he says in the temple there were two people. There was the publican and there was the Pharisee. And the publican said, oh God, have mercy on me, I am a sinner. And the Pharisee stood there and he looked at the publican and he says, oh God, I am so thankful I am not like that sinner there. Who knows, that could have been Zacchaeus, the publican. Who knows? But whether that was Zacchaeus, the publican that was in that temple that day, or whether, it doesn't matter. Zacchaeus came to realize his need for the Savior, and he received him joyfully, and something happened to the heart of Zacchaeus. See, something had happened to the heart of Zacchaeus when he went to the trouble to run ahead and climb that tree and wait for Jesus. Do you see that? There was a desire in Zacchaeus that was not normal. Normally, Zacchaeus was all about how much money can I cheat you out of? How much power and influence can I exert over you? Now, Zacchaeus is running down the road, climbing trees, waiting to see a savior. 
That was out of context. But why? Because something happened to the heart of Zacchaeus. He had a different heart. How do we know he had a different heart? Not just because he climbed a tree. Not just because he was curious about Jesus. A lot of people were curious about Jesus. But there was something that happened in the heart of Zacchaeus that translated into the life of Zacchaeus. So we could say it like this. Zacchaeus put his money where his mouth was. Zacchaeus demonstrated a changed heart because he did something. He demonstrated repentance. He didn't just say, I repent, God. I'm going to change. Promise you, Jesus. He said, Lord, I give half of all I have to the poor, and I'm going to restore fourfold to everyone I cheated. There was something that happened in this man. In the eyes of Jesus, Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham because of his faith, not because of his lineage. Because in in the unrighteousness of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus came to know that he was lost when what? When he saw Jesus. When he saw Jesus, something happened to Zacchaeus. In the eyes of the religious, they were sons of Abraham by birth and by their self-righteous lifestyle. But in their self-righteous lifestyle, they could not see. Do you see this? They couldn't see that they were lost. They couldn't see it. Zacchaeus had a divine appointment that day with Jesus. And he didn't even know it. See, here's the thing, church. Don't... Don't go out looking for divine appointments. Zacchaeus wasn't looking for a divine appointment. Zacchaeus had a desire to see Jesus. He followed his desire. And when do you know when your desire is godly and when your desire is not godly? Is that really hard to know? It's really not. I mean... We've got a Bible here that, that reveals to us so many things that a lot of times we just can't justify our desires being godly. But I'm telling you what, everything that was in Zacchaeus' heart, his desire to see Jesus, was so consistent with the Scripture, but it was so contrary to his world, to his culture that he lived in. Oftentimes, our desires are not driven by God. They're driven by the world. Listen, don't justify your worldly desires. But here's how God keeps his divine appointments oftentimes. He puts desires unknown to us in our heart. And we follow those desires and we're walking right into the divine appointment of God and we don't even know it. Zacchaeus followed his desire Though it was so contrary to who he was, he followed it and he walked right into the divine appointment God had for him. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down right now, for I must, by divine appointment, come to your house today. And when Jesus came to his house, what happened to Zacchaeus? Salvation came to him. What does Paul say? Today is the day. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. When is the day of salvation? Today is. When is the time of salvation? Now is. You can't can't get it yesterday. And you're not guaranteed tomorrow. So today is the day. 
Something in Zacchaeus said, today I've got to see Jesus. Where did that desire come from? I submit to you it came from God. Why? Because God had an appointment with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus didn't even know it. His desire to see Jesus put him in a position. That he could be found, that he could see Jesus. And when Jesus spoke, he obeyed. Make haste and come down. And the scripture says he received him with joy. We do not do things because we know we have a divine appointment. We do things out of desire. And in the midst of our desire, God has ordained his appointments. Develop a desire. Seek a desire for Jesus. It says that Zacchaeus sought to see who Jesus was. Do you seek to see who Jesus is? Do you desire to see who Jesus is? You might not know who he is, but do you desire to see who he is? You know, when I was in college... I wasn't saved. I wasn't even close to it. Of course, you know, drinking was, it was the big thing. And, but I, I come from a family of men who love to drink beer. I just, I just never liked the taste of beer. But you know, when I got to college... I learned how to acquire a taste for things that I didn't have a taste for before. You know why? I did that. I did that because I wanted to fit in. It didn't even, it didn't, I didn't even do it because, I didn't even do everything because I necessarily wanted to do it. But, but the reality is, I say that, but the reality is, I might not have wanted particularly to drink that substance or to ingest that substance, but, but there was something else that I wanted. Maybe it was the affirmation of people. Maybe it was popularity, whatever it might have been. But there was a desire that drove me to do certain things that I would not normally do. And I gave place to that. I learned how to, to, to do that. It was consistent, yes, with my nature. But I'm telling you what, as a child of God, just because you have been conditioned to live in the world and to think according to the world, you can, and this is where 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 tells us, we have the power to do what? To cast down strongholds, to cast down arguments and imaginations, to make our thoughts obey Christ. We know the truth, we can walk. We have the power to walk in the truth. And I'm telling you that for some of you, God has put desires in your heart. And in the midst of those desires, there may be divine appointments. Are you willing to do the extraordinary things, the out of the ordinary things? Are you willing to risk even maybe ridicule to be true to what God desires 
that you would keep his appointments. God made sure Zacchaeus kept that appointment. But at the same time, Zacchaeus really did choose to run ahead of that crowd. He chose to climb that tree at the risk of everything. Do we as the people of God have the courage to do that? To risk the ridicule of the world, to be true to the scripture, to be true to who our Savior is? Do we? Are we willing to live out of the ordinary in the eyes of the world and not worry about what they say about us? Because our desire to see who Jesus is is far greater than what they might think or what they might say. Amen? Let's all stand. So as you pray, pray that God would order your desires. You may be struggling in your life, in your mind, in your heart. Pray that God would order your desires. But don't be like the rich young ruler who had an appearance of wanting what God wanted, but when it got too, when the price became too high, he was not willing to go there. We have to be willing to lay down everything. And the promise we have is that there is nothing we can lay down that we will not gain. Something of so much greater value, of so much greater eternal weight and glory. Father, I pray that you would move on us, that you would chisel and shape us by the Holy Spirit, that you would put godly desires in us. God, you would help us to develop an appetite for your desires. That God, as we look into your word, as we study and pray and meditate and commune with you and spend time with you, God, we would invite you honestly. We would invite you to mold us and shape us. Give us the desires that come from your heart and from your mind that are in, Lord, consistent with your will. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you work in us and move in us by the Holy Spirit. And we invite you, God, Lord, to transform us and conform us to the Son that we would be a people that would glorify you And that we would truly find our greatest joy and our greatest fulfillment in you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.